0: There you'll be able to find our schedule with our upcoming masterclass for you to join. On with today's show. Welcome to Alt Marketing School.
1: We are proudly bringing together a new wave of marketers, just like yourself. We want to provide you with the skills to speak to your audience perfectly, empower clients with winning strategies to market their brands, champion their values, and make a positive impact in the online world. My name is Fab, and I'm your host. May the class begin. Hello, squirrel friends, and welcome back to Alt Marketing School. My name is Fab, and if you don't know me, then welcome. I am the founder of Alt Marketing School and head teacher. And today I have an interview, and oh boy, isn't it a topic that is highly requested? Plus, I love to geek about. Plus, it involves memes, which means it's going to be awesome. So what is the topic, you might ask, is one of our students' favorite topics, which is SEO. And today we have Amanda Lutz with us. Uh, Amanda is SEO content specialist from Nashville with a passion for research and optimized content, analyzing current marketing trends, which we like, but also, which we love, injecting humor into technical subjects. Can I hear a yes? Well done. Uh, she began her writing journey as a social media manager before finding her true love which, believe it or not, is SEO. Amanda believes that digital marketing should be as simple as fun as possible, which means this is why we absolutely love this here at Old Marketing School. She also has contributed to editorial and writing skills for dozens of books and online publications over the past decade, and currently works as a senior content writer.
2: Amanda, hello and welcome again! <laughs> Thanks, Fab. I'm so excited to be here. And I love your fun peppering through the introduction. (laughs) I
1: mean, it's, it's very much improv, I'm going to say, but I think it's kind of it's kind of nice. It's great to actually, obviously, introduce people, but also, you know, because we find each other, we choose each other as between guests and and hosts, I would yeah. like to say. Uh, you know, <laughs> we choose each other for a reason, and this was mainly the reason. It's just the love of SEO and uh, shared a lot of love of memes also helped.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like- if you don't love memes, I don't trust you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that should be a new LinkedIn like cover I think that will be actually a really good one honestly that's
2: going to happen immediately after this interview (laughs) no one is up thanks thanks I'm I'll be I'll be going now (laughs) it was a great chat
1: thank you so much for coming no actually it's funny though because we were talking about something else that again shows the kindred spirit vibe which was um Amanda was sharing with us that she has two laptops and I think a lot of people have the home laptop and the work laptop. And I was going to share with her. And then I thought, nah, listeners need to know as well. They need to know my dirty <laughs> I actually have. Oh, a- boy. I know, it's coming. I have a work laptop, derp, and a Sims laptop. All it does. Oh, my god! All it does have on there is Sims because it's so bloody
2: heavy. <laughs> That's all it can carry. Oh. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I thought you were going to be like, and then a design laptop for my second love. But no, a Sims laptop. You know, it's important to have hobbies. It's important to have hobbies. <laughs> and, <laughs>
1: Amazing. And as my husband likes to say, a game where you actually micromanage other people's lives, which is literally the Virgo dream, if you ask me. So, yeah. So that that's my little dirty secret. That laptop is an old laptop that actually my husband had, and I love every single second of it. Every so often, every couple of weeks, I just get like four hours of uninterrupted madness on Sims, and then I come back to. It and work.
2: <laughs> Well, wow. thanks for sharing. That was very brave.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. I felt a bit exposed, but I knew it was a safe space for me to share that with you. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I won't tell anyone except the entire podcast when this comes out. It's fine. It, it's, it's, a, it's an internal community of love. So I think all the listeners will kind of appreciate or just kind of mm. kindly sigh and just be like, yeah, that's fab for you. So it's totally cool. Uh, and Actually... That probably would be one of my answers to the question that I have for you. I've got a couple of ice-breaking questions, not that we need to break the ice, but I want to know your answer because I can think of a few, but I'm hoping there's going to be an outlier. Amanda, what would be a trivia category that you'd be really good at and why, if you could choose one? Reality television.
2: Reality television that has premiered in the last five years. I could tell you anything about Selling Sunset, Love is Blind, The Bachelor. I'm like, if men can have sports and women too, then I can be very passionate about cheering on a contestant in The Bachelor. And that's really my big guilty pleasure. So I will admit you micromanage the lives of simulated people. I really, really throw popcorn at the TV sometimes over The Bachelor, so you know. We we all have our secrets.
1: (laughs) I feel they also again. I think it might be hard because of the insider element of it. But I think some of them Mm. are actually good. Really make really good memes too. Like you know. Oh, absolutely. When
2: The Bachelorette comes out this upcoming season, I will certainly be making SEO Bachelor crossover memes. There are like five people in the world who want that, but I'm one of those five. So yes, stay on the lookout. (laughs) Okay, I'm, I'm obsessed by that already. Excellent. So,
1: And you will be not too surprised, actually, you're not the first person that mentions reality TV, I think, because... I found the people that like it, they're really, really like, they're really into it. So I a couple more mm-hmm. people that mentioned it in the past as a trivia category, like reality TV was something that came up. So you're not alone.
2: Mm. Yes. And, you know, I think it's just fun to witness drama that you don't have to try to fix. You're like, this is drama and it's not my problem, but boy, is it interesting. <laughs> it's just nice to be removed. <laughs> yeah. I love that.
1: My second question now, we're jumping into the past now. we're going, This is the present. We're going into the past. Mm-hmm. What is the first job that you remember that you have had, Amanda? And what did you learn mm-hmm.
2: from it? Ooh, actually, my first job, I was a barista and ice cream parlor scooper when I was 15. And honestly, I think I learned from it how to connect with your audience, especially when you're working at uh, you know, a coffee shop or ice cream place, you really get to know the people that come in day by day and you can recommend new things to them and you can understand what their like purchasing decisions sound like. And you can also understand, I think in general, this translates all the way up into what I do today, that the more conversational and the more relational you are with whoever's in front of you as a customer, the better it's going to be. So I think there's a lot of through lines, even between service industry jobs and marketing.
1: I agree very much. And the reason why I love that you brought it up is because well one of the big strap lines, tag lines we have is obviously that, you know, we want to make marketing human again because at the end of the day that's that's what it is. It's so much rooted in psychology, which is also the reason why I genuinely love marketing and understanding people better. And obviously that's a lot of what you do and not just in how you present the information or the ideas, but also what well, you're encouraging, especially with SEO people to do. And I find that, mm. as you said, that's, that's some of the things that we forget is like marketing was also offline mainly. Now, digital marketing is obviously the online version of it. But so many yeah. of us had actually to have in, you know interactions and relationships with people, and I think when you remember that from some of these jobs that you had or some of these experiences, it shows you that you can find the patterns and understand how to actually make people remember you fondly or you know again get getting that nice feeling from them, and that's really what good marketing should be about building relationships and giving value and creating something together, even if it's just for a short period of time,
2: yeah, absolutely
1: actually this goes back into the present again um okay we're time hopping right now on this podcast she's already a bit like she's a bit like doctor who sort of like drunk now um no we're oh not. we're gonna stay in the present now i promise
2: no, I'm like, as much I, as it's 11 a.m here in central time so i i'm not drinking at this juncture <laughs> my question for you is
1: And again, it goes back to what we literally just talked about when it comes to being human. Obviously, we encourage people to market to hearts, not to brains. So again, with the human side. So what would you say is, you know, an idea of making a positive impact on your audience? What does that mean to you with what you do, whether it's in, again, in the day job or maybe also in some of these things that you do when it comes to just sharing the good word on SEO? So what does making a positive impact on your audience mean to you and why?
2: Yeah, I think making a positive impact on your audience is something that's crucial to keep in mind uh, when you're working in SEO, because there's so much of it, because we're writing not only for humans, but also for AI, that can feel really formulaic, and it can feel really like you're just filling in a formula, you're just stringing words together in a way that's going to work for Google. But making a positive impact on your user, I actually think the major way that I do it, a lot of what I do is writing in like product reviews, space, and um service recommendations for homeowners. And what I try to do to make a positive impact on users is to really be honest about what's not perfect about anything that I recommend, any review that I have. A lot of the time, I think when we're in quest of making a sale, we actually end up glossing over the making content human. We gloss over making sure that people do have their concerns addressed. And I think we do that thinking, oh, this will make it easier to market this product. But in all reality, being truthful about the product is one of the best marketing like tactics that you can take up because rather than plugging and playing into this formula of what Google wants to see on a page, you're actually helping people understand if something's right for them, if they will be the kind of user that is not going to have the best success with the product. And it builds the trust to be able to convert in the end. So I think it's it's better for the user. I'd rather have them not buy and trust us than to buy and to wonder why we didn't tell them about things that really matter to them as the consumer, if that makes any sense.
1: It does a thousand percent, because I really find that it goes back to something that actually at the time of recording we're gonna go through tonight with our cohort, our class, which is the introduction of obviously mm. the know, like and trust element when it comes to kind of building relationships, which then you can elaborate, you can spin off. But again, even when you maybe ignore a bit some of the other steps, the, the element of trust is the one that we often come back to because I think, again, as you say, when you do it authentically in a way of actually understanding that it's not about tricking people into trusting you, it's actually when you tell them what they want to know or when you're honest with them or when you're not hiding some of the things and the objections that you know they have. And especially, I like what you mentioned that when you go back to that level, whatever that means, and we're going to probably go mm-hmm. more into that, I think that's really where, you know, it's natural to trust somebody because there's an element of relatability and you feel like they understand you. And sometimes it boggles me when I'm like, how can we not get, how can we still not understand that? Not everyone. We're trying to change that with what we do. Mm -hmm. But I know that is a conversation that sometimes you have to have and people still look at you like, isn't it better to make it sound something different? And I'm like, no, you have to make it sound like Mm -hmm. what? what it should be sounding like when it comes to either you or your audience or a combination of both. So I I totally agree with that.
2: Yeah. And in SEO, I think it's really easy when people are outlining what they're going to write to look at, okay, what are the top 10 competitors on the SERP doing? And just try to emulate that directly. But a lot of the time there's an H2 that you can add in at some point during that saying, oh, how do I choose the right product for me? What should I look for in order to make sure that I'm making the most cost-effective decision? You can add in these H2s. You can add in these subsections that go above and beyond what your competitors are doing actually in service of the user. And I think that that's something every time you outline an article, ask, how can I make this 10% better for the user without getting too pedantic? And that's another way you can really positively impact the consumer experience as you go. I'm gonna
1: derp now. That's
2: super practical.
1: <laughs> I love that, and I'm gonna derp though because I always have our students in mind, especially. And as I said, SEO is a big mm-hmm. topic, but I know they come to me and they're like, "Words, <laughs> I understand them." <laughs> so, I, yeah, don't mind if I'm like, like raising my virtual hand. Everyone, imagine I'm raising my little hand. I'd be Jeez. like, "What does that mean again?" So, SERP. Yeah. If yeah somebody yeah. doesn't know what SERP means. Can we give them a bit of a reminder?
2: Yes, SEO. And writing for SEO uses more jargon than almost any other field that I'm aware of. We love to abbreviate things. And honestly, you just have to start laughing at yourself at some point. So, SERP means search engine results page. So, Google has pages and pages of up to 10 results for any query or any question that you search. Even something like best pest control is a query. Even though you're not asking a direct question, at the end of the day, you're asking what is the best pest control. So when you search a term, the SERP, what we typically refer to, is the first page of those search engine results. Those are the ones that Google has indexed and that people have clicked on. They have high traffic and they have high value in the eyes of Google, whose artificial intelligence technology is reading through these pages and finding which ones are most trustworthy. Does that make sense?
1: Totally. Thank you so much. And I think that kind of give us a bit of a, of a better idea in case somebody was, because it's actually one of those terms that you see a lot. But once again, it's almost like a topic that we're going to talk about now since I'm just bringing it up, which is keywords. Mm-hmm. There's many that mm-hmm. I like to kind of like, not, not basp or discuss and debate around when it comes to SEO, because again, when there's a limited knowledge because of, as you say, maybe I also find that the the jargony word sometimes maybe stop somebody or the lack of understanding of bridging the gap between just the writing and as you say, the the rules Mm -hmm. or the algorithms. And I find that then there are some words that we get stuck on. And also sometimes our students, when we do our SEO class, they cling on to that one and and that's with that. How can I use keywords? Why do I add keywords? Keywords are the best thing Mm -hmm. in the world. So, you know, it's kind of nice to be able to talk about some of the terms to be like, okay, you know, this is what SERP means that when you see it, you recognize it and you understand this meaning but also talking about words that maybe we know about SEO, which are, for example, keywords, that I find that the for some people feel like the holy grail that is literally what SEO is about. Yeah. And I would like to ask you how relevant how are they today? You know, what else should we be focusing on also when it comes to SEO? But also, you know, <laughs> are keywords really all there? That is also the other question.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so... I will just preface all of my answers with saying that despite the fact that I do work in SEO, I am uh, very much like a content for SEO specialist. So I'm not going to get into really technical on page elements like how to do a schema markup for your FAQs. I'm just going to talk about from actually writing marketing content, which seems most relevant to you, the people listening to this podcast, what matters for us. There are other things you can do in technical SEO besides my answers today, but this is if you're a marketer, Probably what's going to make the most sense to you. So to answer your question, keywords, I think are extremely important still to this day in SEO. However, keyword stuffing, which used to be a semi-common practice, that's not as important anymore. Uh, Years ago, Google's algorithms of what they look for have totally changed over the course of years uh, in service of the user for the most part. And we used to just try to fit in like, if your keyword is HDMI cables, We just used to fit in HDMI cables 73 times over the course of the article. And maybe sometimes you would say like best HDMI cable and we would think, ah, that'll rank. And honestly, it, it wasn't wrong at the time. However, now secondary keywords are also really, really important. And I think it's important to know why. So secondary keywords are keywords that Google sees as related keywords to your primary topic. And it's not that Google's looking for this checklist of words in order to think That you wrote a good enough article it's really that the more secondary keywords you use for example best landscaping company grass aeration cost for landscaper get a quote those sorts of terms and secondary keywords are telling google hey what i'm writing about is directly relevant to the actual user intent of why they made this search so when they see tons of secondary keywords in your article that are related to your primary topic they think oh this has been really holistically covered because we're recognizing these words that make sense in relationship to the topic does that make sense so i would say they're like an eight out of ten important for like a, a case analysis or case study i was working on a refresh of a page that had already been published and i was actually doing an experiment i really love the tool Clearscope. if you get really into seo ClearScope is a phenomenal content tool for SEO. I don't have a deal with them. I'm just obsessed with them. But I decided to go in and take all the secondary keywords that ClearScope recommended for the topic. And uh, this this SERP was extremely difficult. It has a keyword difficulty to rank for the top page of 70 out of 100. Typically, we try to target something that's like 30 or under if you really want to land on the first page. And just adding in secondary keywords... To the headings and to the body text took it from position seven to position four on the SERP, which is a really, really big deal in SEO terms. And all I did was just add in secondary keywords and make sure that it was really using the terms that Google thought was relevant to the query. So keywords are still really important, and they can significantly impact your rank. Even if you already have an existing page, looking at what recommended related keywords are every six months to a year, can help your topic stay really fresh.
1: Can I ask you just based on that, mm-hmm. what are some of the, you give us already quite Cleoscope as a tool as well, but are there any mm-hmm. other, like, especially websites or places that people can go, especially again, if they still feel as marketers? SEO is not their strengths, but they know that they want to add it, especially for content writing, I think is very important. And I love that you clarify that because that's the other thing is like, then you feel as a marketer, you can have the confidence to say, actually I'm creating content that I know also has SEO value without having to feel like you need to maybe get an SEO expert or consultant just for that. So all the the content is as optimized as it can. So I was wondering if there was Mm -hmm. one or two more kind of websites, especially to start understanding and kind of looking for, uh, especially, again, secondary keywords and understanding how to navigate that a bit more because I feel, again, that can be still a lot alien for quite a few people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that... I, I know that there are two guys in your show notes. Maz's Beginner's Guide to SEO is phenomenal, and those will be in the show notes at the end, and it truly goes through every single little mini topic. Um, Ahrefs also has a free two-hour course. On a beginner's guide to SEO, that if you want to understand more about backlinks and like the more technical side, that's a great place to start as well. But if you want to do some reading, I'm subscribed to Ahrefs blog and they send me an email every week. And they have both YouTube videos about SEO topics and actual articles on SEO topics. And then lastly, and some people really love to see the screen share and the visuals of the Ahrefs videos, I think those can be really helpful if you haven't used. SEO best practices before, they will recommend their tool. I think Ahrefs is a very good tool. So if you need to get an SEO tool, Ahrefs does a great job of explaining it for you. And then the last one that I would probably recommend is Search Engine Journal is like sort of a third party website. It's not recommended or it's not affiliated really with like Simrush tools or Ahrefs tools or Moz tools. And it has incredible content. I find it to be the most like database and super comprehensive of almost any SEO website content. So those would be, I know I just listed off a few, I can write them down again at the end, but yeah, Ahrefs, subscribe to their email newsletter of all their content, search engine journal, and then use the Moz Primer to SEO or the Ahrefs Video Course Intro to SEO. Those are, all of that will take maybe two hours of your time, depending on which one you pick. And it truly will help you feel like you actually understand all the acronyms and all the best practices being thrown around. But yeah, Search Engine J- Journal has tons of stuff on keywords and optimizing content for SEO if you're just going to pick one.
1: To be honest, I was thinking about acronyms because you mentioned it also earlier in, in our chat, like our, you know, his SEO specialists and experts like to use uh, acronyms. But I think it's just a marketer's thing. I was literally looking at, Mm. I lessons and I was like, there's ADA or AIDA. There is, you know, obviously there's smart goals, which we all know about. I was looking at this part at this past, which is obviously a copywriting sort of framework. I was like, God, would you like acronyms don't
2: <laughs> I know you're like, if an alien landed and tried to read even if it spoke English, if it tried to read a marketing journal or syllabus, it would be like they've invented another language. We pretty much have. <laughs>
1: that, that is, yeah. Again, it's like you're a little inside, inside the not so cool language of marketers. And on that note, actually, because you talked about um, some of these resources, which is amazing. And the show also is going to be full of joy. So you can just check them all out. <laughs> and you talked about always. And you talked about also, yeah. um, you know, some of these have got really in-depth guides and they also explain some of the terms and stuff. But then there's also something else people can do. They can just go and, gently and kindly stalk you on LinkedIn and find out your means.
2: <laughs> and then... Yeah, it's true. I'm just so passionate about... I feel, I feel like everyone can understand SEO. It's funny because the inside joke in the SEO community is always, well, should I do this or this? Oh, it depends. You know, but at the end of the day, the more you start to understand SEO, the more you understand... I, I actually had a faux pas. I'll totally out myself. The other day I made this meme and I thought it was hilarious and my team was laughing with me about it but I used an acronym in the meme and I had so many people message me and say, "Hey, what is a PAA?" which is a people also ask answer. And I realized that even among marketers, even among these people who are following me to learn SEO, I had forgotten. You know, sometimes when you get really deep into a field, you forget what you know and I'd forgotten what I knew and I'd actually confused and slightly alienated all these people I'm trying to teach SEO to. So it's always a work in progress, but um, I'm really passionate about using, using humor to teach SEO. Nobody likes to feel, I think there's nothing more frustrating than feeling like you don't understand what's, talk, what's talked about in a room. And so when we use humor, it helps people let their guard down and ask questions and feel comfortable to learn as opposed to feel defensive because they feel like they're being either talked over or having words thrown at them that confuse them.
1: Actually that's that's one of the things that I also find can be a bit of a stumbling block when it comes to marketing in general. What I love about obviously the way they do with SEO is that you can obviously kind of niche down and I think that's some of the power of the of the memes themselves is that you can go really broad and obviously you can go with relatable content which is not educational. But what I love about it is that yeah. there's a little bit of an education because it's it's that field and it's that specific need that people are trying to fill, which is Tell me a seal, please. Tell me in a way that I understand. So I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Um. What? Which one? If you can name, uh, if you can think of one or two, which ones were some of your favorites or some of your audience's favorites that you can maybe like recollect, and obviously that we can try and scout <laughs> on your.
2: Page. Yeah. But there are a couple that like. like yeah. Hits. Best hits. Hit. So it's funny because really. My page blew up is a very relative term. I'm certainly no like star on LinkedIn. But my, my page gained a 1,000 followers um, one day, which totally surprised me. When I posted this meme, that is the Gru making the plan to go to the moon meme. And he's like, write high-quality content, optimize it for SEO, ignore bulleted lists. And then he looks back at the camera and is like, ignore bulleted lists. Bulleted lists are one of the easiest things you can do on any web content. Um, to not only make it easier for your reader to understand what you're saying and to not only make it easier for you to write, because it's way easier to write a bulleted list than it is to write three more paragraphs, but also bulleted lists can increase traffic, organic traffic to your page by up to 68%, according to Simrush's State of Content Marketing Report from last year. So you can increase organic traffic, which means people who you didn't pay to come to your page you didn't place an ad. You can increase the organic traffic on your page just by simply putting a bulleted list in there. But people really were laughing. I saw people tagging like their bosses and their friends. And these are people with marketing in their bylines on LinkedIn. Um, It's just some emerging data. But it's just one of those funny things where you like have a great plan and everything's going well and then you forget one step. So that one went over pretty well. And um, Simrush responded to it, which if you're in the SEO world was a big day for me. I was like, my heroes. Um, But that was probably one of my favorite. And that's when my um, memes started doing pretty well so yeah that's probably my it's one of my first ones i made and it's probably one of my favorite ones that i've still made um because who doesn't love a list literally no one type a's love a list type b's love a list because it tells them what to do <laughs> everybody loves a list
1: you know what's what's funny actually when you were talking this is some of the memes that i've sort of seen of of you or from you sorry were still about lit mm-hmm. i was like hopefully not of me <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, uh, mean, i'm like not that queen, big of a deal like <laughs> a little queen yes,
1: yeah. yeah that's the thing i'll take it you know do you want to be turned into a meme mm, question mark um
2: i'd rather make them than be them you know very true <laughs> <laughs> again
1: another good trap line there i was thinking about one that i saw that you that you created was about lists again because i know that is something they talked about and i remember i saw it the first mm-hmm. time and i don't think it was the first one i saw uh, from you but i remember i saw that and i was like Okay, I'm feeling good now because as a writer, so I'm a writer first, not necessarily SEO, kind of with my SEO out on, I'm just like a writer, like author. And so I've I've been writing for different editors and one of the funniest things is that one of them had a big beef about uh, a bulleted list because I did it at the end as a summary because some of my articles and essays were quite in depth. So sometimes I do it and now I do it on my website. But then I stopped doing it because they were like, "Nah, it's just it's redundant. It doesn't work. It's not great." I was like, "But I like it." <laughs> so when I read, yeah when I saw the meme, I was like, "Snap!"
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's good user experience. It's good for your ranking. It's good for re- even if you do need to repeat something. A lot of the time, what I'll do is say, "These are the cost factors in this thing I'm discussing." I'll bullet point them and then I'll make a H three. Of each cost factor, but if you start with the list, somebody can look at the list and decide if they actually want to read through all the factors or if they feel like they have a good enough grasp to just continue through reading. We want to make it as easy as possible for people to get the information they came to our pages for. And so a bulleted list can help them do that.
1: It's like a table of content almost, like you put out the top, isn't it? Yeah. Which I think is really cool.
2: Yeah, you can do a table of content. You can do it in a, a lot of the time, I'll do it with underneath an H2. I'll just discuss something. Put a bulleted list in the order that I'm going to discuss the factors, and people can just. I'm not offended if people scroll past if they get what they need from my list. And we, that's one of the biggest things about writing for digital marketing in general, as you also know, is we can't be precious about people having to read every single one of our words. We're writing for p- busy people, they're on the internet, and we're doing an amazing job writing, hopefully. But at the same time, like we're serving our user, and if it doesn't serve our user to read a section of our content that's not a reflection on the quality of our writing. And I think if we can take ego out of it and say, if the list does it for you, you don't have to read these things I spent a long time writing. That's totally fine. Because at the end of the day, I wrote this for you, not for my ego.
1: Very, very true. And again, one aside actually. So H2 or 3 is headings. Just in case, again, somebody, I'm going to mm-hmm. come back with it. Um, mm. And I love them because I want to just do, do one second, like little IQ on the love of headings as well. Because first of all, they can <laughs> you in general, but they're just so nice. They give you that extra breathing space. Obviously, a paragraph can do it similarly, but I like it because it gives you that idea of like, okay, this is the next step. And as you say, even without a bulleted list, you have the choice to say if there are different points to one, to one lesson or one takeaway, you can decide whether that point is relevant to you, whether you don't know something about it or whether you're interested in learning more. So I really like, mm. I know that they're good from a technical perspective, but I also find that sometimes they're very yeah. understated, And it's for me, it's bizarre. I'm like, it makes sense. Headings break things down, they allow us to breathe, allow us to reset. But again, I can see, tell me if what you've seen, but I see a lot of people writing, a lot of marketers actually tend to forget to actually add them and to break down their content better.
2: Is it just me? No, no. Actually, I, you asked me before we got on the call, you know, what is like one thing that everyone could do to make their content better for SEO? And actually my answer would be, and it's so funny, we've just so organically gotten here. I have very few passions and two of them are headers and bullet, bullet, bulleted lists. So um, headers are absolutely crucial for article structure. One, they help a reader read your page. Two, they help Google read your page because you are writing for a robot partially when you're writing for SEO. And three, like you said, they give us the breathing room. They help us navigate. And a lot of the time, someone is looking for a very specific answer to a very specific question that they don't know exactly how to articulate into a search engine. And so they go to the top result for a broader term, and they're looking for a smaller piece of information within that article. Like, what is the cost of this thing I'm looking for? Or how do I buy this certain thing? Not just, here's everything you could ever know about pet carriers. You know, so when we give them headers, it helps them go to our page and see if we really are going to answer their question. And when we don't give them headers, it makes them read through chunks and chunks of text. I think best practice is really to have a header every 400 to 650 words if you can. Nobody wants you to actually go count. If you're in Google Docs, obviously there's shortcuts to be able to count. But if you can put headers more interspersed throughout your content and you can do H2s, like secondary headers, you can do tertiary headers, H3, and you can even go all the way down to an H4. Um, And again, not to overly quote the similar state of content marketing report, but the, they did a survey of 500 thousand high performing articles across tons of categories on the internet, and the best performing articles had complex header structures all the way down to H4s. And it was they noticed that it drove organic traffic again to their page. So the more headers you can have, I wouldn't do them like every 100 words, but like once you've hit about 300 words, do you need a little subheading under that? Do you need to start another section? Just help you're holding your reader's hand as they read your page with headers. So.
1: And it's also what, what made me think about what you said, especially when it comes to the high-ranking articles and the breakdown, which, again, I'm a big fan of breaking it down into, as you say, the sub editors almost having a bit of a Russian doll situation where they kind of go into, <laughs> other you know, and they kind of was like, oh, yeah, the space, yeah? Um, and that's fine. It's because I find that then, for me, for example, I know that, again, for, I do some writing on the side for others. So again, because of that, I we, we are a bit more careful with SEO for some of the things. And a lot of the yeah, articles yeah. that I'm tasked to write are like ultimate guides or, you know, so they are very in depth, like 1,500 to 2,500. They work. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a lot. And that's a good thing. Like people, um, how can I say, instinctively as humans, we like the sound of it. But then when we see the ultimate guide, we're like, oof, I don't know if I can digest <laughs> all of that ultimate guide. So again, this is where your point makes so much sense, whether it's the bullet, whether it's the headings or both. It makes sense because it really Mm. allows us to actually, the lures us in with the idea that we can learn everything, but it reminds us that maybe what we need to know is not everything. It's just some points that we really want to digest. So I think it's a very powerful thing.
2: Absolutely. That's so well said. And it's true. We want to know everything, but when we have to take a look at how long it's going to take us to scroll through everything, we think, actually... I really just want to know this. And again, that goes back to your point about a table of contents even. If it has a jump link, even better. Mm-hmm. Hey, actually what I want to know is here once I get to the page. Um, and Google's even an, experimenting with pulling jump links into the actual search engine results page itself. Mm-hmm. So I think a table of contents is always best. I think headers that you can jump down to make it so much easier. At the end of the day, I think people have this myth that SEO is so complex and they change it all the time and you'll never fully understand it. And yeah, Google does not ever actually come straight out and say, this is exactly how to rank a page. But at the end of the day, every change that Google makes in its algorithms is ideally designed to make the user experience better. So for example, they're wanting more EAT signals, more expertise, authority, and trustworthiness signals on pages. It's not because they're trying to add extra hoops for pages to jump through. It's so that they and their reader can both determine, does this page know what it's talking about when it's talking about your money, when it's talking about your health, when it's helping you make big decisions? There's always every algorithm rollout. Even if it's, hey, we're looking for more bulleted lists or, hey, we want to add videos and infographics more to content to make it rank at the top. Whatever Google's looking for, they have typically predetermined the user's going to have a better experience when we change how things rank this way. So it's not just this, People like to act like they just change whatever they want, whenever they want. But I truly think almost all the changes that I see actually are trying to serve the user of Google best. And so when we stay ahead of the curve and think, how else can this answer questions? Could I put a video on this page so that it really lets people listen to their answer and not just read it? Can I consult with an expert interview here? Those things don't only help us rank, but when we stay ahead of that curve, they also provide a better experience for the user, if that makes sense.
1: It does. And I think it's a reminder that just like SEO changes, even if, as you said, there's the myth of like, oh, it changes, you never get ahead of it. You know, you constantly feel like you're catching up. Again, there's not, that's not fully true, but obviously there is an element of changing and adapting. But it's all adapting in the way that, if you think about it, exactly what you mentioned, is adapting in a way that matches the needs and the changes in the habits of the users as us as we are yeah so once we once you understand that again humans kids humans work.
2: yeah human first content yeah. yeah i was about to say this ties
1: so perfectly <laughs> Because that, that's what it is isn't it and actually i want to ask you um when it comes to then some of the changes because we talked about algorithm changes and obviously you've been consuming and dissecting for us thank you so many reports um <laughs> Thank you. For that. I, I do that too and you're welcome i appreciate <laughs> other people doing it too
2: yeah um,
1: what is a change or something coming up or something that is shifting that you're very excited about
2: currently um i alluded to it earlier hoping you would ask me this i'm really excited I, google is starting to prioritize at least in the the categories that i work in more infographic content, more video content. And even there's an emerging trend of audio content even being embedded into pages. And I think that that's fascinating and really neat because not everybody is necessarily someone who learns by reading best. People may need a video. People may need to hear it by audio. It also makes different types of content makes the page more accessible for everyone because not everyone is necessarily working with the exact same capacity to understand information all that to say like you get what I'm saying but essentially I'm really excited that Google is prioritizing content that can be consumed multimedia content that can be consumed in a ton of different ways and we're not just serving a reader now but we're serving a user if that makes sense
1: it does and I'm excited too because we are constantly exploring with new formats which I get a lot of little a lot of eyebrows around there a lot of like how do you do it again it's one of the things that I do is creating systems and repurposing, but we're really looking for that because I, I find that our audience and I think, as you said, most audience you, you roughly mentioned are now used to actually choose the content based on how they want to digest it best. Whereas before maybe they would almost kind of like, you know, shrug the shoulders and be like, okay, well, I'm going to write. But because there's so much content in so many formats, they know they're going to find what they need in the format that they prefer. Yeah, So it's about you kind of matching what they want and also obviously what you enjoy creating. And it goes into my last official question before our quick fire round, which is about social. Uh, The reason why I'm asking about social is because (laughs) I find the problem with Instagram is that as soon as like some all things are not working then something new has to come in and somehow now seo has become like what is gonna crack instagram which makes me smile a bit anyway so yeah uh, <laughs> SEO on instagram. it is interesting what's the, deal? <laughs>
2: what's the hell of a deal honestly i always laugh about this because i'm like if you think google's confusing try social media which is as as you said in my bio is my background and i'm like at least google makes a little more sense seo and instagram I think if that's where you're spending more than 33% of your effort, you're probably making a poor time management choice, making great content, connecting with other accounts, finding creative ways to engage with your audience is certainly where you should be spending most of your time. However, if you do want to like slightly optimize your Instagram page, here are a couple of things that you can do. One, pick really good niche hashtags. You'll hear this, I'm sure from Fab, but like the small, medium and large scale hashtags and really narrow down on ones that really fit into exactly the type of audience that you're trying to connect with. Um, It's not, you probably won't necessarily get found with hashtags in 2022, but it is telling uh, Instagram, Hey, this is the type of content I'm making. And if you're consistent in how you're branding yourself, if somebody is searching for a certain type of account, Instagram may be able to flag you as that type of account. May is a heavy emphasis there. Number two, uh, write a really descriptive bio with keywords that may relate to your account. So like, think about other related terms or related types of topics that you're covering. And when you write your bio, try to use... If you're a travel blogger, be like, uh, lover of travel. I talk about money-saving tips to Just be really clear in your bio and even in your handle if you can. And then um, thirdly, I would take the time to write your own alt text. If you go into advanced settings at the end of what, right before you publish your post, you can write alt text for your image and that could potentially help. Notice I'm saying may and could very heavily here, but if you want to spend a little bit of time on it, that's what I would do. However, overall from everything I've read, that's not necessarily going to be the bread and butter of how you grow your Instagram account. If you disagree, Fab, please tell me.
1: No, uh, to be honest, I very much agree. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it is, is because I've seen so much content and I always want to serve our peeps and our listeners and students and alumni and everybody who listens. Hello, my friend. <laughs> uh, and I know that if you have a question, <laughs> like, can I, can I save the world with Instagram SEO? honestly no but again just in case anybody was still wondering um but i think it's a good reminder of the fact that you know it's less about again the discoverability piece in a way of again instagrams help you get discovered because people look for hashtags and such no it's more like instagram is being more clever about what is pushing and what is showcasing so if you help it it can help you too but again i like that you're mentioning about being with a pinch of salt as well which i think is really really important so thank you for that and i think such a yeah
2: maybe like a whole margarita rim
1: of salt honestly just so much salt <laughs> it's like it's really salty
2: it's really really salty which leads us into <laughs> yeah. quick fires quick quick fires not salt. sure oh i'm so sorry i just thought of one very quick thing if you do care about using SEO for any social media platform, YouTube is the place to do it. There are tons of great resources out there. I'm sure Fab will teach you about this at some point. HubSpot has an amazing primer on it. But SEO does work for YouTube. Spend more time on that. I do want to caveat that not all social media is a waste of time.
1: And then you will see now people are starting to literally cry because they're like, I need to start a YouTube account now. No. <laughs> You're welcome. No. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Quick fire. Are we ready for the fire? yes yes
2: sorry i just wanted to defend youtube but now we're good
1: no it's good and we should i mean again i'm not gonna i'm gonna spoil it so if you're listening you'll know but it might be something coming up from us as well in that realm so watch this space or hear this space Mm -hmm. anyway um (laughs)
2: listen to this listen to this
1: space to to find out more okay first question one underrated
2: tool that is indispensable for your work amanda what would that be Mm, i am going to circle back to clear scope again, they do not pay me. ClearScope, truly, if you are going to write SEO content and you do not want to learn technical SEO, get a ClearScope subscription, use the secondary keywords that they use, look at the competitor analysis, get your score to an A plus on there and make sure your readability is at a seventh grade level if you possibly can, because that is the average American reading level. If you're in another country, look up the average American or the average reading level of your nation. But ClearScope, hands down, if you don't do anything else, that would be the one and just use it with, clear, with Google's keyword planner, which is free.
1: Boom. Awesome. Okay. Second one. We're now going to ask for your phone. I want to know what is the last picture that you took on your phone?
2: My phone is not with me, but I know exactly what it is because I took it last night and my best friend, Brooke, took an entire cart into the grocery store and walked out into checkout with one gallon of oat milk in an entire cart and I <laughs> took a picture of it because I was like, I think you had a different idea of how shopping was going to go for you tonight. But yeah, it's a whole grocery cart. My friend laughing at herself and one gallon of oat milk, which I'm, um, if you can do oat milk, good for you. I certainly can't. I'm still a cow's milk person. I know. I know.
1: <laughs> hey, that is totally fine. I ain't judging. Honestly, honestly, I had to cut it because I just couldn't digest it so I'm, I'm actually lactose intolerant so oh I'm so sorry
2: sometimes I'm so insensitive
1: on your no, podcast you know what it is it's that sometimes is <laughs> the thing where I'm I'm very lightly intolerant so I will have cheese not often but I know that milk really really doesn't agree with me mm. So it's that kind of thing where I'm just like you know what just just sod it so um but it, it's a struggle trying to find the right milk from the yeah. right place. But I love that she was like, I like this one so much. I'm going to get a gallon of it. We're going to go for it. I like it. The commitment. I like it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I love it. A committed person to pretty much anything or a passionate person in general. So here I am on this podcast. Boom. Classic. <laughs> <That's it>, thanks. <laughs> so um, actually maybe we got a bit of a
1: spoiler earlier. What would you say is your favorite social media platform and why?
2: Ooh, I have really gotten off of most social media this year, especially now that I don't have to manage any social media accounts. Probably my favorite, though, is still Instagram. I am a millennial through and through, and I am only lightly on the TikTok train. So admitting my age here, but I do love Instagram whenever I do get on social media. It's more like for pleasure rather than work, I guess. So
1: that's kind of like we kind of yeah. how you use it as well, I think
2: yes lucky me for years and years i did social media management and it was wonderful but i do love that i never have to answer any dms unless i want to now that is a dream <laughs> I know, right?
1: I, I, trust me i i was there myself that's what i did as, as my background so it makes a difference now you can have somebody else maybe taking care of that um so yeah, do yeah. You remember who's the last person you followed maybe on instagram or if you have somewhere else that like may be like i don't know linkedin or
2: whatever that you want to recommend
1: remember one mm. of the last people you
2: yeah it's so funny I recently followed Steve Toth on LinkedIn. You know, when you asked me that last question, I honestly didn't think of LinkedIn as a social media platform. I think of it as like a a networking and like work-related platform, but honestly now I'm changing my answer to LinkedIn. I followed Steve Toth recently on LinkedIn. He is an SEO expert. He has an SEO newsletter that goes out every week that I find really useful. And He is just, he doesn't, I don't always see his actual original posts, but his comments on other people's posts, giving more context or explaining things in other people's posts come up a lot in my feed and I find them really helpful. And then on Instagram, I definitely followed like a baking Instagram because I have all these dreams of baking this summer and I'm really hoping they come true. I just have to actually stay in my house long enough to bake food.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So I Oh, so what level of baking are you at then? You see, I, I, I could talk about LinkedIn. Now. I should <laughs> talk about baking. What level are we talking at right now?
2: Well, so I'm gluten-free. So baking is already like you start at a medium <laughs> level of trying to bake gluten-free things. <laughs> yeah, you know, like this feels like a science experiment and I don't know what xanthan gum is. But, you know, um, I'm, I would say I'm pretty good. I can make a pavlova from scratch. I can make a loaf of bread, not sourdough, like any kind of bread, sorry what was your face for yeah, look at you
1: uh, sorry the face was like a face of of come on you you're doing great i mean as you said it's just about having the time you. for it especially again the gluten free yeah. adds a lot of extra steps and a lot of things to think about and weird ingredients
2: that you have to start adding here and there and everywhere if there's not a gluten-free season a whole gluten-free season of the great british bake-off soon i'm going to riot <laughs> Like, I need that in my life. I just need to see bakers crying just all season, wondering why their bread isn't sticking together.
1: Now, fellow GBBO fans, don't kill me, but I think, if I'm right, that Peter won one year. See, I'm a big fan. To the dismay of my husband, I'm a big fan. And he he baked <laughs> mostly gluten-free because his twin or brother uh, was gluten-free. Mm. So he, he kind of, he brought that little gluten-free flag up and he, he did it as much as he could, so... It wasn't exactly the whole whole season, but it was nice to see him really trying to make as many gluten-free bakes as possible. Go, Pete.
2: Yeah, go, Pete. I actually haven't gotten to that season yet, but I'm now going to cheer him on from the very first episode of whenever I catch up there. So thank you for letting me know, my true hero. You are very, very welcome. We're going to finish on a high. And
1: we'll see see what the answer is. I'm joking. (laughs) It's so spicy. I know, right? So if you could broadcast one message onto everyone's phones, what would that message say? Mm. You're doing better than you think. Love that. It's almost always true. We could leave mm. it like that, but then obviously again, it would be a weird like, cut. So... First of all Just a single tear rolls
2: down someone's eye
1: <laughs> as they look into the distance and somehow this podcast turns into a very mellow music that goes on and on and on for hours and then they're end. like isn't this isn't this the meme girl? <laughs> no, Are we all okay here? Uh, So first of all, Amanda, thank you so much for bringing your energy, your standing up energy. We're both standing up, as some of you might remember, I like standing up. But overall, you're all energy. Um, It was a pleasure. Thank you for helping us understand SEO better and hopefully also for lots of our listeners to feel more confident and more excited about their SEO. So thank you for that. And thank you for being overall awesome. Um, Thank you. If people want to find out more about you, tell us where they should go before we close.
2: Yes, head to my LinkedIn. It's just Amanda Lutz. Uh, my byline is sharing SEO tips one meme at a time, so you'll be able to find me very easily. I would love to connect with anyone. Feel free to message me, ask follow-up questions to the show. I am truly such an extrovert and it would be an absolute blast to talk to any of you guys and answer any other questions.
1: Thank you so much for listening. Head to oldmarketingschool.com to find out more about topics that we covered in this week's class. If you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spread the love on Instagram at Alt Marketing School. Until next time.